So this morning, um, those of you who look at the preaching plan from time to time might have noticed that there's a big old chunk of scripture to go through today. It's, um, it's, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It's a long passage, it's a full, it's a full chapter. And so we're going to read through that to start with because it's good and right to read scripture. It's good and right that we don't gloss over scripture. We're going to read through that. And as we read through it, bear in mind the title of the sermon today, which is God's Power in the Church. God's Power in the Church. So, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul writes these words. Now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all people. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, fa- to another faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the t- interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he gives them to each one just as he determines. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts. And though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptised by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the, hand, the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honourable, we treat with special honour. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no such special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honour to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. 
If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. And in the church, God has appointed, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then workers of miracles, also those having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with the gifts of administration, and those speaking in different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? but eagerly desire the greater gifts. As I say, it's good and proper that we read long passages of Scripture rather than glossing over them, but sometimes by the time you get to the end of a passage, you can have forgotten what was going on at the start. But, be grateful, because actually, this section we're reading today is the first part of a wider section, believe it or not, Because actually, what we have here is Paul setting the scene, speaking about the gifts and the the body of the church, the way that his people pull together, and the way that God wants us to work as one body under one head. He then goes into chapter 13, where there's those, those fantastic passages describing love. And so he says, within the context of, of the body, all these parts working together, the overriding spirit and attitude must be one of love. And he then goes on in the following chapter, having set the scene, having explained how the body of Christ should work, having explained that that an attitude of love is essential for a church to work together in the way that Christ intended, Paul then goes on to address some of the issues that the Corinthians are facing. So, if you're sitting there thinking, this is a long long section, then be thankful we didn't do the whole lot today, because that would have been three chapters. But of course, this chapter, like all scripture, can be taken and read and can feed us even if we don't look at the entire section in one go. Earlier this week, I was, I was at Spurgeon's. It was my last, last day of lectures at Spurgeon's College. I've got to go back for some, some further training in June. I've um, got a couple of weeks' worth of, of courses that I have to go and attend. But this was the last academic lecture And uh, I'm pleased to say that on on Friday I finally uploaded my last essay, so that's good. I feel like a massive weight off the shoulders and still got the small matter of results and things, but hopefully everything will be okay and um, and the end is that bit closer. Not the end, but I mean, you know, the end of the the beginning, if you like. But anyway, um, I was sitting there and we were having one of our last lectures and it was a lecture on the doctrine of the church, all very interesting, and... Um, I, I, I was, I'd, got, I'd got a little bit behind in the notes I was making and I thought, right, I don't want to... The lecture finished and I thought, I don't want to go to lunch yet, I want to finish making these notes. And um, a friend of mine who's been in training over at Braintree, he came over and he said, Maddows, do you want to go and get some lunch? And I said, uh, yeah, yeah, um, just bear with me, Chris, I just need to, to finish writing these notes. And so a couple of minutes went by and he sat there patiently and I was writing away and then I finished that 
I packed my books away um, and I thought, oh, I need to speak to the lecturer. I've got a, um, a, que- a question to ask about, about the essay. So I packed everything away um, and I said to Chris, oh, just a couple more minutes, don't worry. And he said, oh, that's right, that's fine, that's fine. He waited patiently. Um, and the lecturer was talking to somebody else and eventually they finished. So I went up and I raised my question and we spent probably five minutes talking about essays and uh, just making sure I was on the right track. Um, and then finally I said to Chris, right, you ready to go? And he said, oh, yeah, <laughs> I've been ready for about 10 or 15 minutes, but don't worry about that. Um, and he was very gracious. And we were walking from the, uh, the, the, the lecture theatre to the canteen where, where lunch is, is provided. And just as we were crossing over, you have to go out of one building and into another. And one of the gardeners was crouching down, tending a flower bed. And Chris said, wait there a second. I said, come on, I'm hungry. <laughs> but he went over to the gardener and he made a point of saying, I've got to say, the grounds look amazing. Thanks for all the work you've done. They look superb. Now, when Chris and I started at, uh, at Spurgeon's, it was, it was held together by gaffer tape and string. It was in a pretty poor um, condition, to be honest. And since the new principal's come in, he's invested a lot, of, a lot of manpower and resource into sprucing the place up. And now it looks beautiful. It looks lovely. Um, but Chris made a point of going over to this gardener and saying, every time I see you, you're, you're always working on one of the flower beds or one of the, one of the displays. And it looks fantastic. Thank you for doing that. And she was really, really... Uh, touch that someone had taken that time to say thank you. You see, being at Spurgeon's College, it's very easy to go into the library and see the, the, the tens of thousands of books in there and to congratulate ourselves on, on essay marks and, or not as the case may be um, and to sit there and listen to the lectures from some of these fantastic lecturers who have written all sorts of books, have got more letters after their name than I thought existed in the alphabet. And you can be overawed by it all. And you can be really impressed by it all. You can think, wow, this is fantastic. But if the building collapses and falls into disrepair and roots of trees are allowed to under mine the foundations and the thing starts falling down. This is a building that was built a couple of hundred years ago. Then, of course, there is no college. And so Chris was making a point of going up to this lady, who, to be honest, I must got to confess, I've been there for three years. I've said hello to her once or twice, walking past, but he took the time. No, wait there, I know we're both hungry. You wait there. He went over and he spoke to her and he thanked her and she was so grateful. Because it's important, isn't it? Paul is absolutely right. We're not all the same. We're not all PhD professors who who know it all. But we are all vital to God's plan. That got me thinking about this passage, just watching that, that literal example of Chris making sure that that person was honoured, that person was thanked. That the role that she had to play in the overall running of the college was recognised. You see, it's important because Paul starts speaking here about, about spiritual gifts and uh, one commentary I read this week suggested that actually it's a misinterpretation 
it shouldn't be spiritual gifts at the start of this passage. It should be more about spiritual things. Because he, talk, he starts talking about, remember when you were pagans. Remember the life before you were a Christian. He says, don't be ignorant. When you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Now, in Corinth at the time, it was notorious for idol worship. It was, it was notorious for um, wild parties and, and orgies and, and people getting themselves so worked up into a frenzy over certain different temple gods that they, they would almost lose control. And there was an attitude that the more that you got worked up into a frenzy and the more ridiculous your behaviour, the more outlandish and wild you became, the more spiritual you were. There was an attitude that in order to be touched by the Spirit, there had to be a literal, physical, visible manifestation of that Spirit. And so often worship, for want of a better word, to these idols was fueled by drink and by, by different hallucinogenics that were available. So that people could build themselves up and do things and, and say things and, and act in ways which were shocking. But people would say they're touched by the Spirit. That's amazing. Look, the God is touching them. The more wild the behaviour, the more spiritual they were considered to be. And so Paul takes the time there to say, look, I tell you, no one is speaking, no one speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Our expectations of being touched by the Spirit shouldn't be that we see it manifested physically. I know sometimes people might talk about the Toronto blessing and things like that where, where people have been thrown across the room and lie shaking on the floor. It's not for me to say how that happens, why that happens in some places and why it doesn't happen in other places. It's not for me to question whether it's right or wrong. Certainly sometimes the Holy Spirit touches somebody so powerfully that it does manifest themselves in those sorts of ways. Maybe not the wild orgies and the drug taking, but, but certainly the, 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 the shaking and the loss of control. But that's not the norm. So we shouldn't feel underwhelmed. The test, quite simply, Paul says... No one speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except through the Holy Spirit. So, is Jesus Lord? Yes. Therefore, you have the Holy Spirit in you. It's as simple as that. And so at the start of this section, Paul kind of, he, he pulls the rug from under this, this sense of um, inferiority that some members of the church in Corinth were feeling. He says, no, 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 don't, don't feel that, that your God is less powerful just because he doesn't make you look like a wally in front of everybody. Don't feel that. God makes things simple for us. Is Jesus Lord? Yes. There's no other spirit that would allow you to say that. But Jesus is powerful over everything. So even if you used to be a pagan, even if you used to involve, indulge yourselves in these rituals, you've stepped away from it now. Jesus is Lord. And you could only say that through the Holy Spirit. 
He then goes into gifts, and this is where the commentator suggested that the translation is correct from this point. He reminds people there are different kinds of gifts. Of course there are. There are loads of different kinds of gifts. But they all come from the one spirit. He says different kinds of service. We've just seen the way that that the Ebdens are serving as missionaries overseas, making huge sacrifices, giving up the, the, the comfort of a Western life to go and put themselves in a very difficult country to live in as Christians. And they're doing that. That's an act of service, that's an act of obedience to a call from God. But we're not all called to do that, because we're here to work, to provide, to support them, to help them. If we all got on a plane and went off to some far-flung corner of the world, we wouldn't be effective as missionaries, because we'd have no one backing us up and supporting us. So the role that we play in the bigger picture of mission is vital, because it allows people like the Ebdens to go and do what they do. There are different kinds of working But the same God works all of them in all people. We can look around at one another. We can see the different works that go on and sometimes we can feel a little bit inferior. We can feel that they're so spiritual. They're so blessed. They're so brave and correct. Why can't I be like that? Not all of us are called to be like the next person, whoever that may be. Paul has already drawn a difference between Israel, the Old Testament people, God's people, and the Corinthians here. In chapter 10, he's he's told them, consider Israel, Look, look at the Israelites and how they used to live, what they used to do. Consider Israel. And then, in this passage here, You know that when you were pagans, in other words, when you weren't part of Israel, you weren't, you haven't necessarily got the Jewish heritage, but you are now included in the church at Corinth. Every single one of us is included in the body of God. Every single one of us has a role to play, and nobody, nobody is any more or less significant than anybody else. God has opened up this, 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 this idea of his people. I had a chat with somebody um, this week who was saying, yeah, but look in Revelation, the 144,000. There's predestination. You're either in or you're out. You haven't, got a, you haven't got a choice. I don't believe that. I don't claim to have all the answers, but I believe that when Jesus says, follow me, he doesn't say, follow me to a brick wall and you can't get through it. He says, follow me, and I will give you the answers. I will make sense. I will lead you to heaven. Jesus gives salvation to all, and we all, by all, we don't mean just a select few. All of us, that gift is there for. Just in the same way that David represented Israel as he went out to face Goliath, Just in the same way that that Moses represented Israel when he went before Pharaoh and asked for deliverance. Just in the same way that Daniel represented Israel when he refused to stop worshipping his God. Just in that same way, so you and I represent God's people in every walk of life that we're involved in. Every challenge that we face, we represent God's people. 
It's easy to look back at scripture and say, God doesn't work miracles anymore. Look, it's been, it's been ages since he last did anything. Well, firstly, it hasn't. Firstly, God works miracles all around us every day, but we miss them. We are so used to being able to rationalise and explain things away that, that uh, when, we, when we can't, we just put it down to luck or fate or whatever other word we use. But as Christians, we shouldn't use those words. The word we should, should use is God. And of course, look back at the Old Testament. It wasn't exactly regular in performing miracles. 400 years the Israelites were in slavery. 400 years, generation after generation went by saying, do you remember our ancestors? They used to believe in God, but I don't know about you. He might have been there then, but I don't think he is now. And of course, we now look back and we see the Israelites being taken to slavery and then a little bit later in Scripture we see Moses coming along and we forget that there is this massive, massive time gap. We are called to be patient in the way that we consider God. Because after all, God is patient with us. Paul goes on to list some of the the way that the Spirit manifests itself. He says, now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To each one. Make no mistake at all. Each one of us has a gift or gifts within us from God. To each one. But it might not be the the gift that we would choose to have, the gift that we feel that we we would want. Instead, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. He lists wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, miraculous powers, prophecy, the ability to distinguish between spirits, the gift of speaking in tongues and the gift of interpretation of tongues. These are all ways that the Holy Spirit can manifest itself within us. And we've all seen those gifts, have we not? We've all seen someone who we think, oh, they've got such wisdom. Or someone who you think, they just know so much. They know so much. How can that be? Someone who's just got unshakable faith. And you think, they never seem to question or doubt. The healing, the miraculous powers, the prophecy. Where are today's prophets? Prophecy is is almost one of those those gifts that's been subdued and almost lost in, in Western Christianity. But there are people out there who have the gift of prophecy. And we need to be looking for that in ourselves and in those around us, trying to identify it, listen to it and act upon it. Take it in, study it, think about it. (coughs) He lists all these different gifts. And as I was thinking about this this week, forgive me, but I came back to the makeup of a cricket team. One of the reasons that I I, I love that sport is because um, for each each game, the the captain of the team and the selectors have to sit down and say, right, what's what's the way in which we are most likely to win this game? You've got to look at the opposition and see what, what they've got in their armoury, whether they've got a super fast bowler, in which case you need to, need to have an extra batsman in your side, or whether they've got a, a superb batsman, in which case you need to have a bowler that's going to be able to cause problems. What's the pitch going to do? Is the pitch going to be really hard or is it going to be soft? How are we going to use that to our advantage? 
What's the weather going to be doing? Is it going to be cloudy overhead, which has an effect on the movement of the ball, or is it going to be completely dry and sunny, in which case, in which case we need to think about using spin bowlers, because as the pitch dries out, there'll be more purchase. It, it does more. There are so many different factors to think about. And a cricket club will have expert players in all different positions. And often the ones that get the headlines are the all-rounders. The ones that you think, oh yeah, they can bat, they can bowl, they can catch, they're brilliant. But actually, they won't have the highest batting average. They won't have taken the most number of wickets. They're good across all things, but there are people who are specifically called to play certain positions because that is their gifting, their talent. James Anderson is England's best ever bowler. And okay, he does take a whole hatful of wickets on a regular basis, but his biggest thing is that the opposition score very few runs when he's bowling. So even if he doesn't take wickets, he keeps the opposition score down. And people often, often miss that. They focus, oh, he only took one wicket today. Oh, he wasn't at his best. Well, actually, look at how few runs he conceded. He made life really difficult for the opposition. Sometimes the roles that we play don't get recognised, but they are still vital in the bigger picture of the match, the life that we are living. Because we are playing for God, and every one of us has a role to play, and every one of us is vital to the team in which we play. Paul lists more gifts that are later on in the passage, from verse 27 onwards. He says some are called to be apostles, prophets, teachers, workers of miracles, healers. Now those gifts, we'd probably, if we were asked to write a list of spiritual gifts, we would probably include those. They're kind of the the headline grabbers, aren't they? You know, if someone can work a healing, that's pretty impressive. If someone can, can teach really effectively, you come away feeling, wow, they've made things so clear. If someone, someone prophesies and, it, and you can understand it and you think, that's an amazing prophecy, I feel really blessed by that. These things are, these things are, are the headline grabbers. But it's interesting because Paul also includes in, in this list of gifts, helping others. This congregation is blessed beyond belief with people in which the Holy Spirit manifests itself in that way. Helping others. The number of times that I'm just blown away and have been regularly since I first started here, hearing someone's had an appointment or had some news or had a fall or something's happened and suddenly people have surrounded them and the Holy Spirit has been so plain to see in the way that We've helped others. Don't overlook that. That is a gift. That is God working in you. The gift of administration. The ability to organise things. The ability to make things happen. That is a gift. I don't possess that. I'm, I'm not good at organising. Thankfully, my wife is a superb organiser. And so we kind of work together. We have people in our midst who are talented at administrating. It doesn't sound like a particularly fun gift, but I'll tell you what, it's vital to the the growth and development of a church. That is absolutely vital. And again, Paul mentions speaking in tongues and interpreting. 
I've never spoken in tongues. And I know, I know some people who also haven't spoken in tongues who have almost felt a bit, oh, God's not chosen me, he's not, he's not blessed me like that. I wonder why. Give it time, he might do. But regardless of whether he does or not, focus on the blessing that you have. One of the things that I'd like to do at some point, and I spoke to the leadership about this this week, um, in, the coming, in the coming months, is, is run an alpha course in South Green. I'd love to do that. You know, just advertise it, um, smother the community in, in posters and invites and letting people know what we're doing. And I've got no idea the venue, the timing, what's gonna, how it, what shape it's going to take, but I'd like to make it happen because I think we've got to give ourselves opportunities through which God will work. And I think that's a way that would, would work well. But I'll tell you what, I can't do that on my own because I haven't got the gift of administration. I, I'm, I, need, I need people supporting me. I haven't got the gift of hospitality. I might remember to buy a pack of hobnobs, but it doesn't go much further beyond that. But you see, we can use the gifts. We've got people with gifts of hospitality. So I'm, I, can't, I'm not, I can't come along and face all those questions, but I can make a couple of cakes or something. Brilliant, because I couldn't do that. I can, I can make the tea, but I don't want to do that. No, that's fine. I've got, I've got my small area that I can do well, but I need an entire team to support me in doing that. We are so blessed with leaders who, who give up so much time, are so dedicated to this congregation, and I thank God for them. But every single one of us is part of the priesthood of all believers. Every single one of us can offer something to the ongoing narrative of the story of God here in South Green. We can all work on this, and we, we hopefully will see growth. But even if we don't, God will never say, what a waste. He'll say, you gave me an opportunity. It's not my time. It's not my time. Do you know what? In 400 years' time, I'm going to raise up a Moses in South Green and get it all sorted. But until then, I'm afraid, be patient. Okay, that might be the message. Hopefully not 400 years, but just because we give an opportunity doesn't mean that it's going to be right. But if we don't give an opportunity, there's no way it can be right. We can we can set up these opportunities for God to work and pray that he'll use them. And then, if he does, we bless him and give the glory to him. And if he doesn't, then we say, okay, what are we going to do next? And we keep on going and going and going. Because some of us here have the gift of faith. It's interesting, that's described as a gift, isn't it? But those with faith, unshakable, immovable faith, will keep us going, will keep us thriving and searching for those people in our local area and maybe beyond who are searching as well. And one day, our answers will meet with their questions and suddenly they've built an extra part of the kingdom of God. Just to finish with, I went to, I went to um, an or- see an orchestra once with Joe and I was sitting there and I was... I'm not a massive fan of classical music, if I'm honest. I, I like listening to it, but going and seeing the whole orchestra thing, it was, it was all a bit overwhelming. I didn't quite... It was massive. There were thousands of them. I, I, I sort of hadn't... I've seen Oasis in concert a couple of times. There's only five of them. Well, not anymore. They're split up. But an orchestra, it's massive, isn't it? And um, Jo was trying to educate me, bless her. Um, and she sort of said, look, they're, they're the strings over there, and, and that's the wind section, and they're the brass. And, and she was explaining all this stuff. And at the end, she said, what, what, what did you think? And I said, well... I enjoyed it. It's, you know, these people are clear, clearly incredibly talented and it was, the music was great, it sounded good. But I said, there's, there's one guy. I said, Joey, come on, like, the guy who plays the triangle. 
it's not that impressive. I said, I was watching him, and there was one piece for about 10 minutes. He was just sitting there with his stick, and he had the triangle on a sort of a frame thing. Um, and he was just sort of watching everybody else. And then after about 10 minutes, it was ding. I said, Joey, you're not seriously telling me that he's a professional musician. Come on. And she said, she said Tom, he, without him, that piece of music wouldn't be complete. I said, yes, it would. She said, no, it wouldn't. Because it's written into the music. It's written into... You might not notice, but she said, anybody with, with an ear for music... Anybody with an ear for music would notice if that percussionist... She, I called him a triangulist. Um, she said, if that percussionist doesn't, isn't there... And to be fair, at other times in the night, he was <laughs> dinging on a slightly more regular basis. But she said, if he's not there then people would notice. If you're not there, people will notice. Because even if you feel that all you can do is sit there with a triangle and ding every now and then, without you, God's narrative is incomplete. We all have a role to play. Let's pray. Father, thank you that none of us, none of us fall outside your orchestra. Lord, thank you that even, even though we might look, out, look at ourselves and think, what have I got to offer? What can I do? I haven't got the, the skills or the faith or the, the gifts of others. I've had my time. I'm past it. Whatever we think of ourselves, Lord, we know that you see us as a vital cog in that machine. You see us as, as, as main characters within your story. Father, we give thanks that we can look at these words of Paul and that we can be reminded that we are one body and there is one head in Christ Jesus, our Lord and our Messiah, through whom we will one day come to be with you. Father, thank you that we can read these words and be reminded that we all have something to offer, that we are all talented in some way, that we are all called to serve you and that there is no gift of service that is too small or too big. Father, we pray that as we seek to reach out to this community, we will in some way break through. We will be able to, to identify ourselves in this community that we will be able to recognise the needs and then work out a way that we can provide for those needs, to show support to people. We don't know what's going on behind the doors, but you do. You know what's going on inside every household in this community right now. And Father, we pray that right now you are working on people, getting them to a point where when they see an advert for an Alpha course, they'll think, wow, that's exactly what I want to do and that they will come along, and that lives will be changed, and that your kingdom will be enriched and strengthened and furthered here at South Green. Father, bless us as we do our best to serve you in whatever ways we can, and Lord, encourage us, encourage us with this passage this morning, that we are all vital, <coughs> vital components within your master plan. Lord God, we give thanks that through your power, your church can do your work. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen.